The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, giving up on seeing snow in the DMV. Crocuses, daffodils, hellebore, all my early garden flowers are blooming, and frankly, the colors are magnificent. I am eagerly planning my first spring hike, and I'm over wishing for a huge snowstorm to keep us inside for a week. Today's guest is no stranger to the outdoors, Connor Parrish, who hails from the Pacific Northwest, is an avid hunter and a lifelong angler who works at Trout Unlimited in Montana as a project manager for the Gallatin Home River Initiative. For some time, I have been wanting to have a hunter and or angler on the show, and Connor's name came across my box randomly, I shall say serendipitously, and I immediately knew I had to have him on. We talk about the climate conditions he, as a lover of the land, has noticed and a little bit of what we could do about it. Listeners, do you have a guest idea? Email me at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A at RepublicEN.org and share your suggestions with me. This is your show too. And now my conversation with Connor Parrish. Welcome back, listeners. Super stoked to be in conversation today with Connor Parrish. Connor, welcome to the show. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. So as um, I was chatting with you before we started recording, you know, this is our sixth season of the Eco Right Speaks, and I have been dying to have a hunter or an angler come on the show, and you're both. <laughs> I'll try and represent both both communities. <laughs> <laughs> so one reason why I've been so gung-ho to have someone on the show who um, is a hunter or an angler is that really there is no other hobby I can think of with um, such an affinity for the land and changes you might be seeing in the land. Schedules for when permits are allowed in many cases are determined, I think, by seasons and weather and what's happening with the various critters during those particular seasons. So I'm just curious to hear, and, and we can separate out the conversation between the hunting sure. side and the angling side, but what sort of climate impacts you're seeing as you undertake um, these two activities? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, it, it's it's stuff that you don't see like on an individual day. Um, it's kind of, you know, trends over time, like all this climate stuff is right. You know, we have big weather events and things like that, but that's not necessarily tied to climate change one way or another. Um, but it, I think a big one, like on, on the fishing side of things. So, um, so full disclosure, I work for Trout Unlimited. So um, I have my kind of background and roots tied in, um, in, in fisheries conservation work. But um um, as an angler, I, I grew up um, primarily fishing for for trout and sometimes uh, salmon and steelhead. And I actually grew up in Washington, um, so I grew up in Pacific Northwest before moving over to Montana. But um, those fish species that I primarily like to pursue and to catch either for fun or for food um, really need cold water. And so, obviously, as the climate warms and um, the air, the average air temperature warms, that also starts to impact the the temperature of the of our streams. And when you're talking about uh, trout, salmon steelhead, uh, those fish uh, evolved in really cold environments. And so they can't handle warm uh, temperatures. Actually, um, the oxygen level um, 
oxygen levels decrease, the warmer water gets. It's just like a natural thing. So warm water has a lower capacity to hold oxygen. And so that impacts them. So um, so that's a long way of saying that basically as it gets warmer, there's less days that you can fish in certain areas. And those fish species actually start to shift um, typically upstream to find colder water. I was so, going to ask um, you where they go if they're looking for cold water. They're going north. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. So um so yeah, that's the that's the nice thing about fish like trout. They're they're pretty mobile. So they can they can move move upstream. Um unfortunately, sometimes there's impassable bears like dams and things like that that get in their way. But um especially, you know, for folks um who are accustomed to fishing or you know, if if you live in town and maybe the rivers in your backyard and you're used to running there after work, um in, later in the summer we we go into something that we call a hoot owl where the state shuts down um fishing after a certain time during each day once the water temperature has reached a certain threshold and they do that to protect the fish because if you catch them you might even let them go and they'll swim away but the stress from being caught they can actually die afterwards and it's pretty high mortality so that really alters you know um you know how we enjoy this this activity um for me it's not uh, I, I kind of adapt to that and try and um, look at the positive side and explore some new water and go some new places and get to some cooler places. But, you know, especially if you're a fly fishing guide and depending on people coming to town or something like that, that can be really impactful. Um, well, right, on- because, you know, we've talked a little bit about this as a hobby, but it is a huge recreation, especially for some of the Pacific Northwest and, and mountain states. So, yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, here in Montana, I, I want to say, you know, um, fishing is, is almost a billion dollar business annually here. And um, I think 600, I want to say 600 million of that goes to cold water fisheries. So tied to like, you know, fishing for trout. So when you start altering how many days people can be in the water um, and um, that really impacts, you know, the, the bottom line, especially for, for fly fishing anglers as well. And then um, when people are kind of pushing the limits, because sometimes we'll be fishing um, anytime the water hits like 67 degrees, I carry a little nerdy thermometer around with me. And when it, it. Uh, hits 67 degrees, I quit. Um, but any, anywhere around there, I'm, I'm not fishing. I just go somewhere else. So I'm not having a negative impact on the, on the resource. So sometimes it's hard for folks to make that call. And if it's between you finishing a day with a client and not, you might push it. I don't know. So, so, um, aside from changing where the fish might, um, swim, does the warmer water also impact things like spawning and reproduction and size, the size that the fish grow? Yeah, for sure. Um, in some ways, like warmer water can uh, make for bigger fish, actually. But there's like, that's the hard thing in all this like science and stuff. It's like a, I wish I had a black and white answer for everything. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, like generally somewhat warmer water can increase um, fish growth. But when you get to a certain point, it starts to go down. Um, so yeah, it, it can impact them. Spawn timings can definitely shift. Um, depending on the species, they take their cues from sunlight, but also it, it water temperature is a, a big part of it, especially for some of our fish that um, depend on signals like signals like high flow to get into um, places to spawn. It can be a big problem. Um, when I lived in um, Washington, um, I think it was 2015 was like our one of our biggest drought years we ever had. And we had a lot of fish migrate up um, the the main river over there, the Columbia River. And then a lot of the tributaries were like too hot for them to actually reach their spawning ground. So a lot of them just sat in the Columbia and it got so warm that a lot of them uh, succumbed to disease and infection and stuff like that and never even made it to their spawning grounds. And that had a huge impact on the fishery that year. They had to close some of our our most productive fisheries in in upper Columbia. Well, that was one thing I was going to ask too, is about droughts. You know, we, uh, I'm on the East coast and we hear these stories all the time about, um, not just 
uh, wildfires, which certainly ravage that part of the country, but also um, droughts situations. So do you, some of these fish require a certain flow of the rivers that they swim in to get to where they want to go? Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, you know, it's, it depends on the system. Some, some systems do better than others. Um, there's, you know, locally um, in, in the West, we have a little bit different system than out East um, as far as like how we allocate water for agriculture purposes and, and irrigation. And so um, in, in some areas, you know, we have to find that balance between um, demands for agriculture and demands for um, relieving water and streams. Um, where I am, I, I'm the Gallatin Rivers here um, just outside Bozeman. And um, during the summer months, there's actually a period in which um, the water rights that are out there allocated for landowners actually um, exceeds the amount of flow that could be in the river five times over. Wow. So um, the only reason <laughs> the river is still flowing is because the agricultural community has decided that it's important then to make sure that the river is flowing. Yeah. And um, in a year when we have a big drought, that's really challenging for them because they have to, you know, it's it's their livelihood. And, but they also understand that other people depend on this and it's really important to our, our regional economy. How um, would you rate the level of awareness um, from other passionate anglers like yourself for um, the climate impacts on fishing? Yeah, um, I think it's it's just super variable. Um, you know, some some people, they just want to kind of, you know, brush it underneath the rug and blame it on some other things uh, mm -hmm. and, and try and find some other solutions where they can, you know, turn a switch on and off or, or blame it on... Um, you know, some people can say, oh, we should just stock more fish using hatcheries or um, we should get the irrigators to add more water to the stream. But um, the reality is that we've been working um, with a, you know, kind of more well-known amount of water for a while. And, and now it's it's changing. And mm -hmm. so um, I would say uh, it just depends what communities you're in. Some people are, are acutely aware of it, um, especially I think when you get near some of those agricultural um, places where, you know, there's a lot of overlap between the fishing community and the and the agriculture community, because when we have a drought, we all, we all hurt. Yeah, so. for sure. So let's shift over to the hunting side. Sure. <laughs> um, and it sounds like you're a relatively new hunter. Yeah. So um, my, my grandfather, um, he, he hunted a ton, but my dad was like a, an accident baby. <laughs> so like <laughs> uh, he's by far the youngest of uh, my grandfather's children. And then I'm the youngest grandchild. So by the time my grandpa, uh, stopped hunting. I think I was five or something mm -hmm. like that. So I didn't really have a hunting mentor yeah. to get into that. Um, but then, yeah, I think I started hunting when I was 22 and I'm 34 now. So, um, and honestly, it's pretty much my favorite activity now. So more than um, fishing, we won't tell fishing that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I still really enjoy fishing, but I don't know. Um, the whole tie to the landscape thing that you kind of talked about in the introduction, um, mm -hmm. I've just never found a better way to be out there and experience the landscape um, than hunting. You know, I've, I've hiked and backpacked and fished and stuff my whole life, but um, you know, hiking out in the middle of the, in the middle of the night so I can, uh, or early in the morning so I can get to a spot and then watching the world kind of come alive and sneaking around is, is a pretty amazing uh, way to experience the landscape. So. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So when you, I mean, the, the climate changes that you're seeing in that sport are more probably land-based than animal-based. Yeah, so um, yeah, most, most of the species that you can hunt um, are in pretty, pretty big numbers. So there hasn't been drastic decreases in, in some of them. 
However, especially when I was in Washington um, in 2014, we had what at the time was the largest wildfire in the state. Um, it was broken the previous, the following year, actually, sadly. Um, but um, I was living up north, and a lot of the area that burnt that that summer was um, the habitat that mule deer depend on for their winter range. So mule deer, um, there's a variety of different, uh, you know, life styles of of mule deer, but in some of the mountainous areas. These deer travel way up into the mountains during the summer, feeding on all the really great lush green stuff. And then in the winter, the snow pushes them out of the mountains. So they're down low, eating on sagebrush and grass and stuff like that. And when we, you have a huge fire um, that burns that winter range, um, they don't really have options. So in the winter, they get pushed down by that snow and then they get down there and their food takes a long, that drier stuff takes a long time to recover. Um, there's a bunch of other issues with non-native species that are kind of taking over those environments. And because of that, the survival of those animals really crashes, especially if you get a bad winter on top of that. So, um, and so, yeah, we, we saw the numbers decreasing and that's, that's one of the reasons I, we, we moved from Montana or from, from Washington to Montana. There's just, um, kind of healthier wildlife populations here. Yeah, interesting. So, um, Trout Unlimited, do you work for, is this a state chapter or is how does the how's the organization structured? I know the national chapter, but I wasn't sure they had affiliates in states or how that structure works. Sure. So it's it's super complicated. So yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> you want to get it. Um, yeah. So um, I work for Trout Unlimited um, National, but I'm I'm located here in Montana. I work very closely with um with our uh, local chapter, which is the Madison Gallatin Trout Unlimited chapter. Um, we actually um ask them for funding for different projects and, and work with them all the time. Um, and then. Um, Montana Trout Unlimited is its own like state-based organization, um, but we overlap a ton. So it's very confusing. <laughs> no, that's, I used to work at the National Wildlife Federation and it was okay. sort of similar where the states had an affiliate organization that was choosing to be affiliated with us, but we had no governance over the state yep. group. So yep. uh, very you totally get it. Then. <laughs> and are there specific climate policies or, or actions that you guys are looking for at Trout Unlimited? Sure. Um, so I don't, I don't delve too much into the policy side of things. Um, I'm, I'm, this is the, I've worked a lot of fisheries jobs in my life, and this is the first one I've actually worked with. Um, I have a bunch, I have like a legal team here that works, and so I get to kind of, you know, pick their brain on different stuff. Um, but a, a lot of the work we're trying to do is try and um, build uh, resiliency um, for for fish populations, and you can tie a lot of parallels to that um, fish resiliency work to to wildlife as well. Basically, you know, like we're talking about, fish can fish can move. So if you can make sure that they have access to cold water habitat upstream, uh, or to quality habitat, or to do different management actions to hopefully actually increase water um, and keep it in the stream, then that can have um, huge benefits. Um, a lot of our work, what we're doing is, um, at least on my end, is trying to do stream restoration or improvement projects, where we're trying to um, fix things that have been damaged by really like historic logging and mining practices, like the folks aren't around who, who did that work anymore. Right. So not pointing the blame at them. Right. But, not the um, modern day, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I, I think to be in this business, you kind of got to be an optimist. And um, the fact that our landscape has been really impacted, even here, you know, we're right outside um, Yellowstone National Park. And most people think this is like the most pristine landscape, but um, there's not too many forests around that haven't been cut <laughs> uh, cut or uh, minerals that haven't been extracted in some way or streams that have been altered. And so um, while that's unfortunate in some ways, it, it also provides an opportunity to try to improve um, stream habitat, because if everything was 
pristine and we were having these climate issues right now, we wouldn't have uh, as many options to improve things, right? right. So, um, so yeah, so things like removing culverts, culverts can be a, a problem for fish. Um, if they're installed incorrectly, it can create a, a passage barrier where fish can't, can't move upstream to colder water or to spawning habitat. Um, we also uh, try and do habitat improvement projects where we take like a straight and stream channel, turn it into a meander that slows down the water, keeps it on the landscape longer. Most mm -hmm. of our streams are ran by snowpack. So when that snowpack melts and runs off really quickly, then it's not there later in the year. So if we can slow it down, um, it's, it, it stays around longer. And then uh, the folks that I work with in my office, they do a lot of work actually um, working with landowners and they'll lease water from them. Um, and keep it in stream rather than having it be used for agriculture if that producer doesn't need it. Or sometimes they'll help agricultural uh, operations upgrade their irrigation infrastructure so that they're, it's more efficient and then they can keep more water in stream for, for fish and wildlife. So, And yeah. have you had enough snow this year? I know that that's also an issue sometimes with the droughts that we think of droughts as rain, but <laughs> yeah. snow, like lack of snow hurts as well. Yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, um, you know, out here in the in the Rocky Mountains, most of our precipitation comes in the in the summer, or sorry, in the summer, in the in the winter, winter. Um, and it comes in the form of snow. So um, last year was a pretty big drought year. Uh, we ended up making up a lot of that snowpack at the end, but um, but this year so far we're looking pretty good. This is actually, um, you know, I've, I haven't been in Montana for super long, and a lot of the people who've been here their whole lives say this is a, a normal Montana winter. So. So, so far we're looking pretty good and um, yeah, how we just hope it keeps that way. You know, last year um, we had a drought and then we made up a ton of it um, in like the late winter, but then we got a crazy rain event on top of that snow and it melted off really quickly. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of your listeners are familiar with the Yellowstone floods and that's where I live is over on the Yellowstone. So it's kind of crazy to see all that water come down and the damage that it could have. So yeah, Hopefully some of those images were crazy from that. I forgot about that until you just mentioned it, but um, it was pretty amazing. So, one more question: Do you ice fish by any chance? <laughs> um, sometimes. I, I, there was a, a time in my life where I did more of it. I'd like to get back into it. Um, where I, where I live, there's not many lakes around right now, so I have to travel to them. And traveling for ice fishing is kind of a foreign thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, I but, want it um, to be in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, ice fishing is is definitely something that would be impacted by climate change. Um, you know, um, the number of ice-free days and stuff like that starts. Um, really uh, impacting, um, you know, how many days you could be out there on the water if, if we have a warmer year for sure. So, well, I've in the last, I've never actually fished in my life and I've never hunted in my life, but I, you know, growing up in Maine around a lot of people that did, sure. I was just kind of too girly girly when I was young and would have had the opportunity. And now I don't live there anymore, but <laughs> I've become really obsessed over the last month with this idea of learning how to ice fish. And, you know, it's not going to happen outside the Washington DC area, <laughs> but uh, I might need to figure out a way to go back home and, and find somebody to teach me how to do it. Because to me, that sort of sounds like my kind of fishing, like you're outside. I love winter culture, winter yeah. weather. So as long as you have warm gear and something hot to drink, I think I could do it. I think. I'd yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, you can, especially if it's not windy, wind is kind of makes it brutal, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It can be a pretty fun social thing too, having folks out there hanging out together. Um, the craziest thing, the first time I ever went, I remember my friends having like a fire on the ice and I was like, that seems like a terrible idea. 
<laughs> but, um, but there's enough ice it, it doesn't make that big of a difference you know so I, I would encourage you to check it out it's it's a pretty good time so all right I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna report back to you <laughs> okay please do Connor thank you so much for sharing some of your experiences and your observations with us I think this is really going to be super interesting for our listeners and uh you know if I ever find my way out to Montana I'm definitely gonna maybe hit you up for some trout fishing yeah let me know we'll take you out on the raft Connor Parrish is such a joy. Man, he was awesome. It was great to have, uh, as you mentioned at the outset of the interview, great to have a hunter angler, somebody that is an avid outdoorsman come on here and really talk about just the impacts that's happening in the real-time environment in which they operate, hunting, fishing, and then the impacts across the board. Man, he was great. He was awesome. Yeah. So guess what I found out that I didn't know at the time that I interviewed him. I did my research after the fact, um, unfortunately, and I found this great article that talked about how he and his wife, she, they met because she was also, she's also an angler and was working with him at the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. And um, they both have careers in fish conservation. Hmm. So just kind of a cool thing, a cool, um, um, you know, both professional and personal issue that unites them. And there's a super cute photo on them in an article that I'm going to link on our blog post that will um, also have links to the show. So just kind of a fun little tidbit um, about Connor. And yeah, no, it was um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I accidentally came upon his name and reached out right away because I'd had a guest that had to postpone and he was willing and able to talk quickly. And so just uh, joy. And I really, really, really do want to learn how to, um, well, ice fish has been the thing that's kind of been on my mind, but you know, I'd go out to Montana and learn to fly fish. I think that would be really cool too. Yeah, it, it would be a lot of fun. I've, I've always wanted to go out there. I'm not a avid fisherman, but I've attempted it my several times over the years, high school and, you know, my kids down at the beach and the ocean, but ice fishing, fly fishing, I can make the the ice fishing happen for you with plenty of uh, friends in Minnesota who go up to the, you know, even mm -hmm. past the iron range, you know, they can, they can, we can make that one happen for you anytime because I see their photos and sitting in their little ice huts and having their little hole in the ice. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by ice fishing. I am too. I mean, it looks fun and I know it's cold, but I don't care because as we have established on this show many times, I like the cold. Well, I do too. And it's not going to stick around for long because it's going to be almost 80 degrees here in the upstate of South Carolina again today. So I'm not, uh, I'm not ready for winter to give way just yet because of the humidity that is coming for us, at least in this neck of the woods. Before we go any further, uh, but again, uh, thank you to Connor Parrish, man. He was just great. Uh, so thank you to him and Trout Unlimited. But let's give a shout out to some new members who have signed up to stand with us at republican.org, which you can do on Republican.org forward slash join uh, Ronnie C in Florida, Georgette A in Indiana, Phil S in Delaware, Sarah A in Oklahoma, and Regina B in California. Once again, we've got to pretty much all the lower 48 covered, it feels like, from coast to coast and places in between, Chelsea. 
Pretty amazing. It's always, um, you know, I love hearing the snapshot. These are just snapshots that we read of the people that have recently joined us. And um, like we said last week, it's just always kind of remarkable to hear the places that people are from. And I always wonder what it was that, um, that drew them to us because... You know, it's, it's a big internet out there. <laughs> there are a lot of different options for people to um, affiliate with. And um, so we're always proud when somebody wants to be with us. Yes, absolutely. And if uh, you have not done so, we would love for you to sign up and stand with us at republican.org forward slash join. And if you've got show suggestions, guest uh, topics you want to here, our esteemed, award-winning, fantastic host, Chelsea Henderson, dive into. Okay, come Please on. I have not won any line. awards. I'm just going to put that out there. Award. I have not You've won, won MVP oh. of podcast hosting. So, yes, you're award-winning in my book. I say that to friends all the time. <laughs> um, but drop us a line. Drop Chelsea a line specifically. Let us know what you want to hear. And then, you know, while, while you're there, if you're on Apple Podcasts, which I think a majority of our listeners are, give us a review. Uh, we'll take five. We'll take four. We'll take however many stars you want to give us. It just makes the podcast easier to find for others the more ratings we get. And you can leave a comment while you're there. But uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to your podcast, you can find us by searching the Eco Right Speaks there in the search tab. But you can also go online, republican.org forward slash podcast. And we've got them all there, Chelsea. That's right. So please, please, please. I love five stars. I need affirmation for more than just price. So, mm -hmm. you know, everyone likes a compliment and I am no stranger to that. You are fantastic at what you do, Chelsea. Another great episode. We will have more for you again. Remember, don't forget, every Tuesday we drop a new episode, and they are fairly timeless. These are mostly timeless interviews that you can go back and listen. So if you're new to Season 6, did not hear any of Season 5 or 4, you can go online and listen to those. Some great past guests that we've had. I won't even begin to shout out, Chelsea. And I highly recommend recommend that people do that because as price said they're 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 pretty um you know they're they're evergreen i think so listen learn um and even if it is something that's really specific about the past we can all always stand to learn a little bit about history so even recent history yes absolutely well until next week we'll bid you adieu chelsea until then yeah. we'll talk to you on the other side all right christ Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.